Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. All right, so good to be with you this morning. Um, Thank you uh, for being here. I hope that we have church today just like the um, Razorbacks played last night, uh, which means I'm going to uh, preach into overtime is what, what that means, okay? So listen, we've been talking about deconstruction for the past couple of weeks and um, what that means to us. That may be a topic that you're not familiar with, and uh, I hope that today through just discussing the recap and getting into the message uh, that you will catch up with us. So next Sunday, I'm going to wrap it up, and uh, we'll call it a four-part series. But um, I want to just take a few moments. Normally, I don't, I don't take 10 minutes and recap the message, but I want to just because we've had a lot of content, and I want you to be caught, caught up well. So let me just bring you um, up to speed on what the last two weeks we've, we've discussed. So in week one, we defined deconstruction, and we talked about how spiritually what that meant was we're taking our experiences and theology and um, your beliefs, and you pull them apart in order to think through them and go, do I still believe this? All right? Now, it sounds a lot like discipleship, but we split apart what moder- the differences between modern deconstruction and traditional discipleship. Now, how we define that was that modern deconstruction is trying to search and discover, but they're looking at Scripture through the lens of historical and not sacred Therefore, it can be optional, okay? So you can take some parts, leave some parts. You can um, look at one part and go, that's just history. And then you can look at another part and say, I think this applies to me. Now, traditional discipleship was this. You took the entire word, the canon as, as, as a whole, and you said, this whole book is true. And then we spent our lives trying to adapt to that, to truth. And so that was the difference between being discipled and modern deconstruction, is that there was actually a standard that we looked at and said, this is truth, and therefore I've got to spend my life trying to absorb and digest all of this truth, okay? Now, I used 2 Timothy 3. The context here, again, was Paul is... Um, he knows he's on his way out, he knows that he's aging, and he loves Timothy so much, he's like a son to him, so he writes him these letters of instruction, and they're tough, he's saying, listen, there's going to be some things that you're going to have to work through, okay, I did my job, I've planted all these churches, I've tried to mentor and support, but I'm going to be gone, and you're going to be part of another generation to keep this story moving forward. And so he warns him in 2 Timothy 3 
that there would be a people who would have a form of godliness. Now, I ended that week with three examples. I had a Lego house, and the point there was, it looks like a house, but it's not a house. And if you're deconstructing, what what can happen is you think you're building something, and it starts to get uh, an, an image of Christianity, but it's not Christianity. It kind of looks like Jesus, but it's not Jesus. It has the language of Jesus, but behind it is not the values and truth of Jesus. The second example I used was a big Jenga game. And the point here was one big piece, the right piece, removed from the whole, and it all crumbles. The point there is that in deconstruction, it's very popular to take major themes of Scripture and remove them. One of those is that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. He was a good guy. Maybe he was a prophet. Maybe he did some supernatural things. But he's not the Son of God. That is a a block that once removed, every bit of your faith falls apart. Why? Why? Because all of the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus, and all of the New Testament is pointing back toward his work. If you remove him as deity and the Son of God, there's nothing else to study out. The canon, or the Bible as we have it, is the story of Jesus. And so he said, listen, there's going to be this form of godliness. It's going to look like church. It's going to sound like church. It's going to have Christianese on it, but when it's all said and done, it's, not, it's going to just kind of look like Jesus, but it's not going to be him. The third example was this Rubik's Cube. And I said that our faith needed to be more like this Rubik's Cube in that it's identifiable, it's intact, it's whole, but it's shifting. So we can take it and hold it in our hands and hold it close to us. And as we search and as we study and as we get revelation and as we know more about God, um, as, as we ask and seek and knock and all of those things, then we get a clear picture. And so the colors begin to form together to form a larger sect of color. And sometimes it's frustrating. And so you got to put it down. And come back to it. you got to set it aside and go, right now it's too much. It's too mysterious. I feel stuck. And then I referenced our week of prayer and fasting where it's a week where you pick it up. And you go, this is a week where I am honoring God and I'm digging in and I'm going to move it and I'm going to let it shift and I'm going to do some seeking and asking and knocking because I want this to become more and more clear. The longer that I walk with God, I want to figure more of it out and more of it out, but it's whole, it's intact, and it's identifiable. Then last week, we talked about why people are deconstructing, right? And I mentioned four big pillars. Now this, obviously, in a in a 30-minute sermon on why, you can't cover all the reasons why someone would choose to tear their faith apart. But we talked about four things, and I'm going to revisit those with you really quick just so you're caught up. We talked about having a moral conflict with Scripture. A moral conflict is that your flesh, the humanity in you, wants to do something. 
It has a habit, it has a pattern, it has a desire, and it wants it. Therefore, when it butts up against Scripture and Scripture says no, we try to find a workaround, a loophole. So we have a conflict morally with Scripture, and we say things like, I don't believe that, and I'm not going to live my life like that, or my parents didn't raise me like that. So therefore, it doesn't really matter what Scripture says because it's optional. And uh, a few examples I used were strong, but it was, I cannot have sex until marriage. Well, I don't agree with that. So I'm going to find a loophole. And I'm going to believe everything else in Scripture, 99.99% of it, but when it comes to those Scriptures telling me to be holy with that until marriage, I don't agree. So you deconstruct it. You remove it from your faith. Um, Then there was cultural conflicts with Scripture. Culture is very strong, okay? As a matter of fact, you are dressed the way you are this morning because of culture. We pick up social prompts and we apply them. I remember a few years ago when bell-bottom jeans came back in. I started to see those and I was like, there's no way. It's not going to happen. I came out of the 80s where everybody tight-rolled the bottom of their pants um, y'all don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, th- thank you, brother in the back. I see you. Um, but I was like, there's no way. And before too long, you had six pair of them. I remember when skinny jeans came in. Back. I was like, oh, there's, there's no way that we're going to wear skinny jeans. When I was growing up, skinny jeans were regular jeans that you got too fat for. Okay, you didn't go buy them to be skinny. They became skinny because of what you were doing. And I said, there's, there's no way that, that culture is going to embrace this. And every worship pastor in America bought a pair. Um, culture is strong. The way your hair is right now is over social cues that are within culture. We follow norms. We look at everybody around us and go, okay, I think I can do this now because culture has approved it. It's very, very strong because often culture contradicts the word. So you got to be careful because we're in the world but not of the world, and there's got to be a balance there because you can't just go home and lock the door and put a barbed wire fence around your house and pray for the rapture. You got to live in this thing, right? You got to go to Harps and buy food and go to work in the morning, drop your kids off at school and go to ball games and enjoy life. So we're in it, but not of it. And you have a cultural conflict at times because you go, I know everybody's doing it and I know it's popular and I know that people think it's all right, but it doesn't go with scripture. So what happens is if that desire in you is really strong, you deconstruct it, you pull it out. The third was experiential conflicts. So some of you have had an experience in your life that has given you a contradiction to God. And I, I, I gave you really hard examples. I'm going to say them again, um, not to be offensive, but again, to catch you up. But I used these three examples. I was molested. What God would allow that? I lost my spouse to cancer. What God would allow that? My wife and I love each other, but we struggle to have children. And we want them. Why would God 
allow that. So something very real has happened in, in your life or is happening, and because it doesn't go the way you want it to, you're conflicted. You have a dichotomy because you have two things running side by side that are in contradiction to each other. And so now you're looking at God and going, well, maybe you're not the God I thought you were. And you start to deconstruct and peel back layers. And even though God tells you God is love, you feel because of your experience you are not loved or seen or valued. So you deconstruct. The fourth thing, and this is a hard one for me to talk about, but it's spiritual abuse in the church. If you read some of the most popular sites right now on deconstruction, they are driven from an agenda that is motivated from past hurt. And so you had a church who taught perfectionistic theology. So now here you are in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you're raising children, you're trying to have a life, and every view you have of God is Him being angry. He's upset with you. He is recording every move you make. He can't wait for judgment day. And... God has never come across to you as someone who is a friend and a brother and someone who loves your soul, but rather as someone who is wringing his hands wanting to punish you because you're not perfect. And so your motivation, a lot of your life has been, I got to go to church and I got to give and I got to serve because I don't want to go to hell. Not because you were in love with God. So spiritual abuse. Now, I ended that by talking about John 16 and 13, and it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And truth cannot be anchored to an opinion. It's got to be anchored to something bigger than you and me. It's got to be bigger than our own minds dreamed up. It's got to be something that is inspired by the Spirit, and that's why we have always looked at Scripture to say this is God's Word for our lives. It is truth. It is inerrant. It is infallible, and it's still for us. And if we are able to rip pages out and throw them onto the floor and say that part doesn't apply to us, then we are not following fully what the gospel has to say for us. And for our lives. So deconstruction can be very, very dangerous. It's why I challenge you to come back to a place of discipleship where the word is true and we spend our lives trying to follow it and adapt and tell our flesh to be quiet and let our spirits rise up and become the strongest points. The leading point of our life is to be led through the Spirit by the Spirit. So... Let me cover some new, new content. I want to take you today to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, this is a strong letter to a guy he is mentoring, and he's warning him. He's being cautionary. He's saying, I just want you to know that this is what I see coming. It's what I feel. It's what I think the Lord has told me. And I want you to know that this is around the corner for you. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. Let's read this. For the time will come, everybody say will come, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. That means tolerate it. They're going to look at sound teaching and go, I don't want to hear it. 
I don't hear that anymore. I don't want to hear how I need to change. I don't want to hear that I'm not doing what I should do. I, I do not want that. Instead, he says, to suit their own desire, they will gather around them a great number of teachers. Okay. Never in our history have you ever been able to gather people to yourself the way you can right now. I'm, I'm not on Facebook anymore. I got sick of it. It's been the best six months of my life. But I can go on a podcast this afternoon and download thousands. I can get on a book platform. I can read from the best writers in the world right now from my phone. I can even have them read it to me. And by the way, if you're saying you read a book and they read it to you, you did not read that book. Just kidding. We can go and like a page, a profile, a personality, and gather people to us that are feeding us constantly over and over and over and over and over. The way we can access information right now is you could literally press play on content and it would take you lifetimes to play through it. This is, this is, this is coming true. We are gathering great numbers of teaching. Watch. To say what their itching ears want to hear. This is the only time in Scripture this is ever used, itching ears. And it means this, I want to hear what I want to hear. So I'm going to search not for truth, but for affirmation. I need to be affirmed. I need someone to applaud my opinion, my way of thinking. And because I have so much access, I can push you out and bring you in. And push you out and bring you in. I can surround myself with who I want to surround myself with only because my itching ears are gravitating toward an affirmation of my opinion, not trying to iron against iron, sharpen my spirit. Sometimes I need to hear the truth, and it sets me free, but man, does it hurt. My parents growing up, they pulled no punches. They would say to me, what you just did was dumb. I never had to go, what do you mean by that? It's just truth. And it says they will turn their ears away from truth and turn toward myths. Now this means that there's going to be a group of people who say, I don't want to hear the truth anymore. I would rather hear something that you make up. A myth, a fable, folklore, allegory. And I'm just drawn to it. And it puts its hooks in me, and I just, I just feel affirmed. Someone else believes the way I do. Someone else thinks that that part in Scripture is ridiculous. And now together we can all avoid it. 
You see what's happening? So I'm going to tell you how to prevent following folklore. I'm going to, I'm going to go quick. But I think first you have to, have to dig a well before you get thirsty. Obviously, I'm using this as a spiritual metaphor, but you've got to have a freshwater well in your life before you fall into thirst. And a lot of people who are, who are calling themselves Christians are only seeking Christ in the valley of their lives. And so when they're on mountaintops, they don't come to church, they don't pray, they don't study, they don't dig in, they skip discipleship, they skip devotion, they skip fellowship, they skip all of it until they're in the valley. And then there's a comeback. And then they come back, God, listen, i gotta, I got to talk to you. I know, I know it's been a while, but listen, I lost my job Friday. So now I'm back because I need you. And what I would say is on the mountaintops, dig in. Make sure it's all in place. Make sure your well is deep. Make sure fresh water is flowing. Make sure you have what you need to stock up water when you're on a mountaintop so that when you're in a valley low, you can just sustain. When a storm comes into your life, it may be tough, but you've got something to drink from. When there's chaos and disorder and hard times fall on you, it's the mountaintops that prepare us for that. We've got to dig a well before you get thirsty. If you don't, you will drink anything. And this is what becomes so, so dangerous because when you get desperate, you can hear a cliche and think it's the gospel. Why? Because you're thirsty. If you were in, in the desert, I can promise you by day four or five, you'd drink motor oil if you had it in your hand. Your mind would tell you, this body can filter it, do it. It's wet, it'll hydrate us, drink it. And you will find something to open that up. And you'll drink motor oil. You'll drink the sand. If you're thirsty enough, you have to dig a freshwater well in your life before things fall apart. Let me move on. I've, I've got more there, but I, I, I want to get through this. Second big thing I want to talk about today is this. You need to have more than an image of God. You need to have an experience with God. Okay? Now let, I'm, I want to show you a couple of pictures. This first one is a westernized, European-inspired picture of Jesus. How many of you have seen this before? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to just answer inside your head. How many of you, this is the image you have of him when you pray? I would bet it's a lot of us. But there's a couple of problems. This is a white-skinned, Blue-eyed, Sweden, Jesus. I mean, look, look, look at his hair. He just came from Benjamin's downtown. It's an amazing haircut. If I could pull that off, I'd do it. But my hair grows up. It doesn't grow out. I mean, this Jesus can be like, you know, nice beard, European nose. You know what the problem is? Genetically, 
He looks nothing like that. A couple of years ago, and you guys may have seen this, some, some guys, very smart people, I would say smarter than most of us in this room, put together the genetics and the makeup of what Jesus would have looked like. And the Christian community went berserk. Why? Because his skin was very dark. His eyes were not blue. He was not European. He was a Jew. And he had a Jewish build and make. And the reason those people were freaking out and mad and calling that particular lab blasphemous is because they had built every bit of their faith around an image. They had something they wanted to look at and see and go, now that's my Jesus. The image outweighed their experience with him. Now let me show you this second picture. It has nothing to do with the first, obviously. This is a 1970s model 911 Porsche Targa. When I was growing up, this was the car, okay? I had a poster of this car. This is the one with the elongated hood that goes all the way to the bumper. A later version had a, had a shorter hood. I can tell you almost everything there is to know about the 1970s 911 Porsche Targa. And so I bought a poster of this. It's identical to this. The car's almost setting just like this, except it was red. And I would look at it, and I would study it, and I would think to myself, this is what success is. So one of these days when I'm successful, I'm going to drive a Porsche 911 Targa. That's what I've asked for for my birthday for 40 years. One year, Robbie got me a little matchbox Porsche. I would say I was equally excited, but I wasn't. This poster that hung up in my room was moved many, many times. Thumbtacks is what I stuck it on the wall with. And the corners were just beat up where I had moved it around and re-tacked it. I, I would not relent on, 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 on this, no matter what room I was in, no matter what was happening, no matter, no matter what furniture changed, no matter. This poster would go year to year to year with me throughout my, my teenage years. It meant a lot to me. And it was a poster. One day, I'm at my parents' house, and one of my high school buddies, I didn't know that it was him at first, I see this blue Porsche 911 Targa turn the corner. I'm outside, and I just kind of fall into a coma. And I'm looking at it. I'm looking as it gets closer and closer. I'm like, this is a day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And it came down, and it pulled into my driveway. And so once I regained consciousness, I got back up, and I was like, what, what's going on? And my buddy gets out from high school. And he's like, hey, man, what, what are you doing? I've just come by for a visit. And I was like, you have a 1970s Porsche 911 Targa. And he was like, I know. I just drove it here. And I said, I had, growing up, man, I had this, had this poster on my wall of this car. The car you're driving. It's amazing. 
And he threw me the keys. And he said, well, today you're going to drive one. And after I regained consciousness, I got in the car, and it was everything I thought it would be. Oh, the seat hugged you. It was perfect. The clutch had the perfect tension. The steering wheel was the right size. The gear shift was just enough out of reach. And I started driving it. I drove it all through the neighborhood, a little bit outside the neighborhood. He was in the driver's seat, and he said, hey, man, I want you to look down for just a second. And I looked down, I was going like 25 miles an hour. And he said, I want you to drive this Porsche the way this car can be driven. And so we headed out toward Rosebud. I let that thing go. I turned it loose. Man, I, I was going around corners. I heard the, the rubber just coming off those tires. It was a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I got back, and I hugged him, and I thanked him, and I was like, this has just totally revolutionized my love for this car. Why? Because I had an experience with it. For the first time in my life, it was more than a poster. More than an image that related some form of excitement in me. But when you get in it, and you drive it, and you feel it, it makes the poster, the image, seem so dull. You know why I don't care what Jesus Christ looks like? Because I've had an experience with him. I don't care about the poster anymore. Because I've been with him. I have felt him. I have heard him. So I don't care what style or race or color he was. Because I've experienced it, and it trumps the poster version of him. Now, I'm going to say something strong, but I would imagine that maybe there's some in this room, maybe watching online, maybe some people sitting at home today who never planned on coming to our church or any church. Their version of Jesus in their life is a poster. And they look at it, and they go, man, it's great. This would be awesome. This is what Christians do. And they can all, they're always having to point to something. You ever seen people in, a, in an art gallery, and they'll be looking at, at an artist's work, and they'll just say, well, what, what do you see when you look at it? And they'll share back and forth about it. But maybe neither of them have ever taken a brush and dipped it in paint and put it across a canvas for themselves. It's always someone else's work and someone else's gift and someone else's story. That's how some people live out their Christian walk. Okay, let me give you a layer of examples. Here it is. If you have never needed mercy from God, then you do not understand what I'm talking about today. You just got a poster. If you've never come to God and needed grace in your life over something, then you don't know what I'm talking about. If you've never led someone to Jesus, then you don't know what I'm talking about. 
If you've never had a time of prayer or worship that ended with you wiping tears away and not even knowing the reason why, you don't know what I'm talking about. If you've never had to bring something to God that was nasty and ugly and broken or impossible or embarrassing or shameful, you don't know what I'm talking about. But there are some of you who have been in the Porsche. There's some of you who have come to God with nothing and said, I've, I've really messed this one up. There's some of you who have lost things in your life because of your actions and behaviors and things you said and things you can't undo. And the only person who loved you through it was God. And you experienced Him. I often relate my experience to God as being branded. You know, we live in the South and we tag now, but you know, they used to brand. And I feel like when I was a teenager, I, you like can't put your finger on it, but I had so many multiple experiences with God. My heart is just branded. So no matter how old I get, no matter where I go, no matter what city I would live in, no matter what country, no matter what continent, I have an experience I take with me everywhere. I am branded by God. Why? Because He's not a poster. I have sat in the seat. I have felt something when I shift from second to third gear that I cannot describe in a message. It has to be experienced. So I get it. Why people de- deconstruct. But watch this. If you've ever experienced Him, there's no way you could ever go to Scripture and say, I don't think Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's no way you could ever, ever look at it and say, you know what, I know He taught that, but I think I'm just going to rip that page out. Why? Because you've been with Him. You know Him. I pray that on all of us today. We can have more than a poster. Brody, come on, man. To move away from having a form of godliness. To not be sucked into the trap of going, I'm going to gather to myself only the things and the people and the podcasts and the books and the teaching and the inspirational quotes that reinforce the biggest opinions of my life. Do you know when we stand before God, not a single opinion you have is going to matter. But His Word will matter. That's what I want to live my life by. By the Word. It's why I want to be faithful. It's why I want to love His church. I don't come here on Sunday because I'm scared of going to hell. I come here on Sunday because I love you. And I love Him. I don't go out here on Monday through Friday and tell my tongue it's going to say what I tell it it's going to say and tell my heart that it's going to believe in what I want it to believe. 
I don't spend hours a day filtering thoughts and going, I'm not going to entertain that and think about that, but I will on that and that and that. I don't do that stuff because I love it. I do it because I believe His Word. Because I've experienced Him. All right? I want you to bow your heads with me today, and I just want to ask one question. The reason I do this is because I think it's important that you respond physically. You say, Kevin, I'm here. Somewhere in my life is a poster of Jesus. And maybe it's like my poster. It's got thumbtack holes in the corners because you've moved it around so much. But the poster is losing its excitement in your life. He said, Kevin, what I need is an experience with God. And I want to seek Him and I want to find Him. And I want to ask of Him and I want to receive of Him. And I want to knock and I want it to be open to me. And you say, that's me. Will you just raise your hand in this place today? Anybody in the house? Amen. Amen. Father, I love you today. I pray we experience you more and more and more. There's no way I can deny you. There's no way I can deconstruct you. So I ask you to disciple me. Help me to continue to adapt to the full word of God. What you've said I want to do. You love me and I believe it. You got a plan for my life. And I believe it. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I believe it. You're coming back again, and I believe it. You've given me a lot of guardrails, Lord, to protect my life, and I want to live by those. I don't want to embarrass myself, embarrass my family, embarrass my church. I want to live by your word. Help us to experience you today, Father. Amen. Come on, let's stand together. Let's bow our heads. If if you would, would you just stretch a hand toward the Father today? Lord, this is my hand of surrender. It's just me giving you a sign that I'm here. I'm here right now. I'm fully present. You can have my heart. You can have my life. You can have my actions and behaviors. You can have my thought life. Lord, just let us experience you. God, shift us today from the poster to the experience. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship him today.